30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Destiny, death, dream, destruction, desire, despair, and delirium. In the 90s comic masterpiece The Sandman, Neil Gaiman refers to these archetypal forces as the endless, anthropomorphized versions of abstract concepts who form a sort of dysfunctional mythological family. As destruction describes them, the endless are merely patterns, the endless are ideas, the endless are wave functions, the endless are repeating motifs, the endless are echoes of darkness and nothing more. And even our existences are brief and bounded. None of us will last longer than this version of the universe. Gaiman's series focuses primarily on dream, but I was always intrigued by Delirium, the youngest of the endless. She appears as a young girl with multicolored hair and wild clashing clothes, a supernatural Cindy Lauper. But even that form is inconsistent and erratic, as is her nature. When she speaks, her text balloons are weird and wavy, with each word slowly shifting in a gradient kaleidoscope of color. And what she says is, of course, strange nonsense. Thoughts that start but don't finish, non-sequiturs that rise to the surface continuously like champagne bubbles. That's because Delirium's realm begins where coherence ends. It is the rumble strip along the side of our mental road, the blurry boundary that gets increasingly blurrier until we're no longer on the map at all. And unlike classical madness, or its multifaceted descendants' mental illness, delirium is defined by its inherent inconsistency, most notably not being consistently present. Delirium is a passing fad, a detour, a chance encounter, a rising symphony of symptoms that can often accompany pain, medication, lack of sleep, or other ailments. But when we pass beyond the poetry of pink elephants, efforts to describe delirium in clinical terms become increasingly difficult. It's a tricky matter in medicine, where definitions serve as the foundations for treatment plans, and delirium continues to dodge tidy verbal packaging. Delirium came up by chance in a conversation I had recently with my friend, Dr. Catherine Keeney, who works as a clinical pharmacist at Norton Women and Children's Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. The history of this malady and the current practices of diagnosing and treating it were so fascinating, I actually had to stop our original conversation so we could pick it up again in podcast form. I love how passionate Catherine is about this topic, and I'm so grateful for her sharing her wisdom while also indulging my own meandering detours into nonsense and magical madness. So now, I highly recommend assessing your own baseline so you can be aware of any deviations from the norm as we learn how 
to deal with delirium. Oh, hi there, Catherine. Oh, hi there. Welcome to Ritual Space. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. This is such a beautiful space for our ritual. I, I think so, too. I think it's good. We're sitting on your awesome back deck. <laughs> we are. And there's wind in the trees, and probably some birds will make themselves known at some point. Mm -hmm. I can hear a koi pond bubbling, and then there is a cemetery stretching out behind me. So what a magical space to get into some magic. Yeah, it's got kind of all that you need in all different spectrums. So like what's our magic word going to be today? Hmm. That's a good question. I think I'm going to go only because you saw one earlier and it I think it stopped both of us with what we were doing with Bluebird. Got it. All right. I like it. One, two, three. three. Bluebird. Bluebird. Beautiful. Now, you have a very interesting job title. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you could start off by just telling us what is your technical title? Ooh. Um... So I am a residency trained clinical pharmacist. I primarily work in adult and neonatal ICUs, but I kind of bounce through all specialties a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I have a doctorate degree in uh, pharmacology and I practice medicine with physicians on a unique team. So it's kind of different from like your normal pharmacist that you see maybe dispensing medications, whereas I... At the CVS. Yeah, yeah like a drugstore. Yeah. I, I sit on a team filled with, you know, dietitians and, and physicians and physical therapists and come up with these kind of holistic multimodal strategies to treating patients who are critically ill. It's like there's a team of doctors that are like the Captain Planet people. And when everyone's like, <laughs> you know, physical therapy, yeah, like, yeah. you know, surgery. And you're like, drugs. And you're, you're <laughs> yeah, that's what out. I do. I, I come in and I just say, I've got drugs. Yeah, who know? wants some drugs? Um, it is. It's kind of fun, though. I think um, the world of pharmacy is expanding. And it's really neat that, you know, they're really good at diagnosing. And we're really good at treating and kind of knowing how all these drugs work together. So. And so you said a moment ago that you do the neonatal ICU and then the adult ICU. So neonatal mm -hmm. is like, it's almost like, like pre-babies. Like I drug tiny humans and then big humans. And then what's in between? Is just <laughs> pediatric ICU? P yeah, pediatric. We are, the hospital that I work at, it's a community hospital, and we don't have a, what they call a PICU, yeah. pediatric ICU. But um, those are the two ICUs that I kind of bounce back and forth in. So it just depends on your facility. But Is there one after adult? Is there like a hospice ICU? Ooh, uh, yeah, or like a really old people ICU. Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> yeah. And mostly just adult. I think Super when senior we, ICU? When we think about like treating them, we kind of... Kind of go based on you know a lot of the drugs are different between the two and maybe how we like diagnose and dose yeah. and you know what their different illnesses are so we divide them by age but i guess you could you know it's funny the residency that i went to they even had a digestive diseases icu which is funny in its own way so they had all the digestive stuff but we call ICUs like PICU, NICU, you know, they all go yeah. by their letter. Digestive diseases was the DICU, which <laughs> I think it's just ridiculous. But um, but there are different, there's all sorts of different ICUs. Um, in I, I, I'm hospitals. sure the digestive diseases ICU is very serious, but in yeah. my brain, it's just a bunch of people that are like, I have a tummy ache. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the high school nurse's <laughs> office where they're like, yeah. you can lay on a cot and you're yeah. like, my tummy hurts. But it hurts. But actually, yeah, I'm I just sure need a, a doctor's note. Bowel cancer. Fine. And other things that are not not as funny as a tum tum hurting. Well, you know, 
They should call it the Tum Tum ICU, though. Yeah. So we were having a chat the other day that I mm-hmm. thought was just absolutely fascinating, and it started with an acronym that I was not familiar with, and I've already forgotten, but I wanted you to uh, remind me of what that acronym is. Yeah. So somehow, I, I don't know how, but we got on the topic of um, kind of what I do and, and what I like about what I do, and we started talking about PADIS, and we talked about... There was this new guideline that was published in 2018, which kind of defined how we treat people in the ICU. And it really showed this like beautiful evolution of medicine from the very beginning until this 2018 guideline update. But PADIS is pain, agitation, and sedation, which are kind of closely related. That's the A. Um, the D is delirium. Uh, the I is in immobility. And then the S is sleep. So it's kind of pain, agitation, delirium, immobility, and sleep management in the ICU. I like that the agitation and sedation get combined because yeah, they, they're they like kinda, two yeah, sides of one coin. They they are. And and it's funny when we like when we record that on scales, the scales are really beautiful for agitation and sedation. Um, we record it the most common recording scale is the RAS scale. It's the Richmond agitation sedation scale. And it goes from like a negative number to a positive number. So you and I right now are at zero because oh. we're neither agitated or sedated. We're just chilling. We're just chilling. But yeah. like let's say, you know, we're a little groggy, maybe we took too much Benadryl, we might be like a negative one we might not be as quick as normal we might not be as easily you know arousable and 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 awake um so or if we're crabby about something we might be a positive one if we like are in pain and kind of writhing a little bit we'd be a positive one so how high do they go what is it um five i believe for both sides of the spectrum i you know it's funny we never really see anybody above kind of the uh hopefully not above like that positive two positive three and, and i'm going to yeah, a hundo just like go all the yeah. way i think negative five is is pretty pretty dead so <laughs> is negative five are you unconscious or are you just yes. like okay yeah so yeah you're completely unconscious like i can't off you've the top gone of my into head, one of now you're on the, one of the sleep scales yeah or something you're, else. you're way off onto the other end of the spectrum so yeah so so i think i do think it's good that they put in the guidelines both as kind of one line because they're so um it's a kind of a cool spectrum but. it reminds me of uh like the what is it like the basic and acidity thing where you're yeah. going in, in those two different directions and then like seven is neutral yeah and yeah. you know zero is is you're okay yeah <laughs> yeah zero, positive you're two you're probably having a bad day <laughs> see i would i would just use that all the time with like my partner i'd be like hey yeah. you're at a one right now and i need you to drop it to like a negative <laughs> one or a two your, your richmond agitation sedation <laughs> scale is not vibing with me you're not vibing yeah. we're both gonna drink some benadryl we're gonna have the rest of this discussion <laughs> at a negative one <laughs> Yeah. We should both be like half asleep to solve this problem together. It's always fun when you go into the ICU and you see somebody that's been charting like positive three. You're like, ooh, hard pass. Like, I'm going to, you know, you, you kind of put the drugs on and, and make sure they're okay. But like, you don't want to go in that room. That's they a room you don't want to walk in. Yeah. That's yeah. a crabby person. So. And then the agitation could be, it's, it's just like, it's interesting because it's just like a, is it a mood? Like, what do you describe that? Because the agitation could be due to, pain or other factors or drugs or or anything yeah it's it's cool that you mentioned that because that's part of like this uh icu they call it the icu triad the pain agitation and delirium are all interrelated so um you know it doesn't mean necessarily that when one goes up the other two will go up but they're in this really pretty triangle where they're all connected so you do have increased levels of pain 
that leads to increased, you know, agitation mm-hmm. and, and, you know, inability to, you know, you, you have certain um, effects that come from increased pain. So like even your hemodynamic stability changes when you have a lot of pain, you have higher blood pressure, you have maybe a higher heart rate. Hemodynamic stability. Yeah. So like you're kind of your resting Your blood place. flow. Yeah, yeah. All of your stuff gets a little affected when you, um, so, so there've been really good studies on, on this relationship between the three, between the pain that we have and the agitation. And, and now kind of a newer thought is its relation with delirium and how people become delirious in the ICU. So what is delirium? <laughs> this is a great question. Um, That's the kind we ask on this podcast. I know, I know, I know. I, I love it. It's, you know, the, the uh, different societies have tried to define it in different ways, but essentially it's this syndrome of, of, occur- of traits that are transient. They're um, often quick onset and they're an altered state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a more technical and beautiful definition to it, but we really don't have a solid grasp. And you can see that in how we diagnose delirium. We, we don't have a solid grasp on exactly what it is, but it's when things aren't normal. <laughs> when your behavior or your movement or your mentation, like your mentality or your you know ability to pay attention when it's just not at baseline. It's like that. I think it was a Supreme Court judge who was in a famous obscenity trial. And he was like, he defined pornography as I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the difference between pornography and art? I, I know it when I, I see it. I know it when I see it. Um, it's funny, the, that weird not really having a clear definition of delirium um, leads us to confuse it with a lot of other things, too. So we'll, you know, see somebody who has delirium, we'll say, oh, it's probably, it's, maybe it's dementia, maybe it's um, schizophrenia, maybe it's acute psychosis, like all these different things. So it's kind of a hodgepodge. What are the sort of textbook traits of delirium? Like, how do you... Yeah, so spot it. There's there's two different categories that we put delirium into. We put it into a hyperactive delirium and and a hypoactive delirium. So hyperactive is going to be anything that's kind of a um, you know that agitation, that outburst, um, you know, different verbal uh, patterns and things where you think kind of a more higher energy delirium. Mm-hmm. So this can often be Hy-fee. yeah, it's it's. It's confused for more of the active like psychosis, like any sort of psychotic um, event or any sort of schizophrenia. Someone who's like talking a lot and it's not making sense. And kind of re- the big stuff. Repeating yeah. themselves and mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a little it's way easier to diagnose. It's way easier to point out. And you, you look at them and you go, that person is delirious. Um, and then there's hypoactive, which is one that gets missed all the time and so a lot of times that can be confused for like uh, kind of a depression maybe it's a um, there was a really good phrase I think it was um, quietly confused which I really liked Ooh. that yeah and it's if I just ever start this... a new podcast that's what it's gonna be called <laughs> I am quietly confused yeah, yeah. it'll be like very NPR like today I'm quietly confused <laughs> that's good I like it we talked to Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist, <laughs> and I really had no idea what he was saying the entire time. And I but couldn't I understand any of it. did my best to not let that show. Yeah, the tone of voice and quietly confused is really important. I like it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we have so we have these two, um, you know, kind of, uh, I, 
they're loose definitions of delirium, but those are the two categories they put them in. And, and we mostly use that for diagnosis and um, in different studies. So when we study medicine, you know, there, there have been a, a few really big landmark um, uh, trials that have come out recently uh, about how we treat delirium and, and maybe want, you know, they're aiming at hypoactive or hyper hyperactive depending on the patient population. But. What are some of these, what are some of these big game changing studies? That have they, happened? um, they did, uh, let's see, mind USA came out. Um, there've been a couple where they're trying to figure out if there's ways to, uh, prevent delirium. So they're looking at different antipsychotics, um, using to prevent versus to treat. Um, so do you, do you try to prevent somebody in the ICU from getting delirium or do you treat it when it's only this like agitated, hyperactive, when it's really bad? Um, because they've shown, I guess I should say they've shown there's significant outcome differences in people who get delirium. So it is something we need to look at. It's not just kind of a passive, Oh, this person's delirious. They'll snap out of it. They've shown that, um, you have longer time, um, with the ventilator, so like mechanically ventilated, you have increased mortality rates. It's just not good, not ideal. So, so they're looking at different ways um, to help prevent it. And some of it's through medicine, but the stuff I find really interesting is a lot of it's through like non-pharmacologic methods of preventing or treating delirium. Um, so they've shown things like even like, you know, somebody's in the ICU, if they wear glasses, put the glasses on their face. Because a lot of times just seeing differently and just not being able to see can kind of induce some of that delirium. So you're, oh, so let me make sure that I understand all this correctly. So, so you know, we have two identical people and they mm-hmm. both get sick and they both end up in the hospital for the same thing. And one of them, for whatever reason, gets delirious. Like they're extra sick and they just are you know, having fever dreams or something. The other person just has a regular fever that they're like sleeping through. And that actually has outcome effects on the person who is delirious. Like mm-hmm. that is a, a factor. And you're saying that they used to take off the glasses and just be like, oh, this person's out of it. We don't need to treat them like they normally would be. But it's actually important to keep those normal parts of their sensory apparatus engaged. Yeah. So uh, the the practice, that's that's exactly right. And the practice that, you know, used to be done in the ICU was that, oh, you're in a critical care unit. I'm going to draw blood every eight hours. I'm going to, you know, the lights are maybe on all the time in the ICU because nurses are working overnight. Um, and, And they found that some of these sleep disturbances cause more delirium. So there's a lot of these weird things that we're picking up on and we're seeing these associations with delirium and then the stuff that we physically do. So glasses, um, hearing aids is a big one, sleep-wake cycles, even just like listening to music, things like that that can kind of help Not just treating someone like, wow, that person's totally out of it, so I can just come in and out of the room and do whatever. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, they're sedated, it's fine, don't worry about it. You know, they got a RAS of negative one, they'll be fine. Um, Yeah. So. Does delirium have a scale like the agitation sedation? Delirium does not. It's a good question. Um, the only the scale that we really associate with delirium is whether you're positive or negative. And so that is the CAM ICU scale, um, yeah. and, or not scale, the CAM ICU indicator. And it either says, yes, this person is delirious or no, they're not. Interesting. Yeah. So, because that's what the thing that I would like, what we're talking about that other scale with the agitation sedation. Mm -hmm. We have this baseline, which we assume is normal, but everyone's different. I have friends that they come over to your house and they're like, Hey, what's going on? Oh my God. Have you seen this thing? And they're like, you know, 
going a mile a minute versus other people who are more chill. But we're going to all group those kind of on on the zero yeah. uh, as just, you know, uh, a convenient way to categorize consciousness. But then delirium is interesting because we assume that everyone's normal or not. Yeah. That like you're outside of this realm, but someone can be totally spacey and more abstract and poetic. And like, when does that cross over into like delirium or just like. They have their head in the clouds. That's just mm-hmm. how they are. They're just a loopy dude. And it's a positive and negative. And yeah. that's it. So I, I think that's the it kind of gets into the timeline of delirium, which is another neat journey to go on. Please. But we're all about the, neat uh, journeys to go on. That's <laughs> the I think we're you know, that's what I call life. The um you know, the delirium has been mentioned in medicine many times. I think maybe part of the beauty that I find in delirium and in the ICU triad of pain and agitation and all this is how recent it is. I think before I got into medicine, I always thought, oh, they're really smart. Like they have all the answers. They've got a lot of evidence to back this up. And then you start kind of diving into it and you're like, whoa, there's a lot of holes in here. And maybe we don't know exactly what we're doing. So delirium first, um, the Society of Critical Care Medicine published guidelines in 95 First, really mentioning how delirium affects outcomes. 95? Right. And that's like really, that feels really re- recent. Yeah. That's like, like really recent. We've like, we've had Space Jam and delirium guidelines for like the same time. Y- wow. Yeah. Now it makes me feel like it's even more recent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. That's true. Um, yeah. And, and the, the, so 95, they, they publish. Um, these guidelines on, I think they called it, it was pain, anxiety, and, and, you know, the kind of pain, anxiety, and how we deal with that in the ICU. So they were starting to realize that there are things that are interrelated to outcomes. And delirium is mentioned very briefly, and it says that you should use haloperidol, so an antipsychotic, to treat delirium. And it's based off very little evidence. I'll say that there were like under 10 sources to those guidelines. And now when we have guidelines out there, you know, 600 sources yeah. that all lead into it. And so just with, so you're using a drug to treat delirium, mm-hmm. but I imagine that delirium is also a side effect of drugs a lot of the time. That like somebody's drugged up, so they're delirious. So then are you just doubling down? It is. It's, yeah. And, and you know, delirium, I think, is one of those catch-alls, too. So you see somebody who maybe has a side effect of a drug, like maybe they're sedated, maybe they're confused, maybe they're agitated, and maybe it's a side effect of a medication that we've given them. But um, in 95 and in all that era, we were still just calling it delirium and, you know, jab them with some haloperidol and call it a day. Yeah. So... Um, so, so we had delirium written down at that point and we said, okay, if a patient is delirious, give them haloperidol, but we didn't really have a good, like they are delirious or they aren't. It was more of a subjective, that patient looks not at baseline. Um, so then in 2001. So if someone thinks that you're delirious and then you get shot up with haloperidol. Yeah. So you could be a time traveler that has legitimately traveled through time and you're in there and you're saying, you know, we've got to stop them. They're going to elect Trump. You've got to stop this. Haloperidol, you. You're just going to get a boom, booster shot of haloperidol right there. (laughs) Immediately, yeah. Ah. I feel like I, you know, kind of looking at some of these, even looking at these rating scales, I feel like I would qualify for haloperidol a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I they just kind of subjectively said, box. yeah. I'm what does Haloperidol do to you? Uh, it's a first generation antipsychotic. Um, it's uh, I can't remember the exact like pathophysiologic 
mechanism. Now that you ask me. But it like zonks you out. Yeah, it does. I feel like I need to look that up. <laughs> it's like a supersized chill pill. Sorry. But that's okay. No, like the, but like the side effects are like supersized chill pill. Yes. Yeah. I'm just going to keep saying supersized chill pill until you agree with me. Okay. I love it. It's a supersized chill pill. Good. Yeah. And so you would subjectively decide that somebody needs it. You would mm-hmm. put them on that. And then the delirium is kind of just, it's like you've paved over it. Like you've just. Yeah. You can turn the volume down. Or or you've turned the volume on the white noise up louder so you can't hear the chattering. Yeah. yeah. And so then how does that evolve from 95 going forward? So from 95 going forward, um, the next guideline update was in 2001. And so in 2001, they came out and they said, you know, we've been doing a lot more thinking and we think delirium's a little more serious than originally. You know, we've, we've looked into it a little bit and, and, uh, and we've decided we might need to evaluate it. So a physician uh, by the name of Dr. Eli came up with this, this ICU delirium tool. And the interesting thing about it is it's still the one we use today. So 19 years later. 2001 delirium tool, which is delightfully silly if i'm honest is what we use every day um and and it it goes through kind of these four big categories and if you fail any of those categories you're delirium positive so i just want to you know just so people understand we're using the same tool that we've now been using since britney spears and justin went to the vmas wearing matching denim outfits that's how long (laughs) we've been using this tool i think it's time for a uh for a new tool or a wardrobe or or to bring back denim outfits or to bring back britney spears (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) so what is the tool um so so it's it's silly in nature and and i kind of love it in its obscure questions but it has four major categories. So the first one is an acute fluctuation in mental status. So that's just a yes or no. So does the patient have an acute change from where they were before? So the weird part about this question is that when we look at delirium, it's a snapshot, right? So mm-hmm. what if you're acutely agitated and behaving strangely, and then two minutes later I walk into your room and I say, oh, you're totally at baseline. You're yeah. not delirious. So if we perform this test once a day, and if we perform it in the morning, you know, maybe I get delirious at night. Yeah. And maybe I get delirious. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I maybe I have hypoactive delirium, and I get these little bouts here and there, but for the majority of my time, I'm totally at baseline. So so the first question is is really a snapshot. Are they different from their baseline? Yes or no? Yeah. If the answer is yes, you move on to box 2. If it's no, they're negative. That's yeah. it. Like so if they're not at their regular or if they're at their regular baseline, they automatically just don't have delirium. Um, so number two is inattention, which this one's really strange to me because I feel like I would pa- I would not pass this very often, but and we could even do this if you want. So this one, you have the patient hold your hand and you spell a a series of of letters and you tell them, squeeze my hand every time I say the letter A. And so you spell out, save a heart. But there's two A's in heart. So it's actually really kind of a weird one. Okay, so I'm going to have you do it. I'm going to see if you're delirious. Okay, so squeeze my hand when I say the letter A. S-A-V-E. A, H, A, A, R, T. That was good. I think I did okay. Yeah, I think you did well. I'm like <laughs> mildly well. delirious. Yeah. Um, 
That one is, you know, that one's kind of save a heart is such an interesting an phrase, and that is like a guideline recommended thing from two thousand one that we still do. Isn't that crazy? How like someone came up with that phrase, and then now that's like the magic words that mm-hmm. people are using all over. Yeah, that is the gateway in and out of delirium. That's how you can tell if you have save delirium a heart. or not. Save a heart with two A's. Heart yeah. has two A's, which I, I haven't figured Wait, that heart- one out yet. Heart had two A's. Did you hear it, that? I, I did. H a so spell- a r t. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what I was getting. I was getting confused where I was like, "Wait, now, now I feel delirious because there's <laughs> the A and save. There's uh-huh. uh, so the, yeah. the second A, and then why does so heart? Why does heart have two A's? <laughs> I don't know. It makes me feel delirious. Yeah, I thought I I didn't want to call you out, and I was like, you know, it's it's. It's complicated. Maybe, she's maybe maybe she's delirious. I thought you spelled it wrong, Mm-mm. but you you intentionally put another A in there. Yeah, it's weird. Weird. And so I think you know it. It would be easy to mess that up because yeah. once you hear "save a heart," I I don't think in the technical instructions you're supposed to say yeah. what you're gonna spell. Um, but if you were cognizant, if you were listening, you probably would have not squeezed on the second A. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. That seems kind of like, it's not like gaslighting, but it's weird to be like, hey, I'm going to give you a test to see if you're delirious, and I'm going to spell a word wrong in that test. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't call me out for it, then yeah. you might be delirious. Yeah, yeah so so that's the second exam. Okay, so we've, we've passed the first one. We're, we're at baseline. Um, see, my version of the test would just be spell bureaucracy out loud, and I would fail every time. <laughs> I would be constantly delirious. Spell anything out loud, I'd yeah. be delirious. Except for save a heart, and you have to spell it wrong. Yeah, and yeah. then I would, I'd nail that one. I got that one. Okay, so I've passed the first two tests, we Okay, think. so you've passed the, the inattention. Now, we should define passing and failing. So if you had one to two if you had zero to two errors so so if you there's four a's there's four a's i never understood this why it's greater than two means you move on to the next box but if you had zero to two errors so let's say you missed an a or two a's that's a no that's a negative you're not delirious you don't move on you do not collect two hundred dollars now if you had three errors you move on to the next box yeah so the next box is altered level of consciousness and this gets back to the RAS. All of my listeners' ears have perked up right now. They're like, ooh, what? Altered Ooh-oh. level of consciousness. Yeah, now now we're paying attention. I, li- I like the phrase, too. Mm-hmm. It's fun because we were literally just talking about this. Yeah. So RAS, that's where altered level of consciousness is. So that, that thing that we were discussing earlier where you're um, you know, a zero or a negative one or a positive yeah. one or a positive two, if you're zero, you pass. You don't have delirium. If you have any charting on that, if you're negative one or positive one, you move on to the next box. Really? Yeah. So that's step three. Okay. Which is any altered level of consciousness, whether you're agitated or you're sedated. And you only go forward if they fail. <clears throat> you only go forward if they fail. So if I pop my head in and I'm like, yo, anybody delirious in here? And someone's like, I'm doing good. Then I keep walking. <laughs> then you and keep then that going. person can go back yeah. to like, you know, doing Bugs Bunny impressions in the room by themselves and they pass the test, so they're fine. Yeah. But if I go in and I'm like, you're doing the thing, all right, you, you seem a little out of it. Squeeze my hand. I'm going to spell heart wrong. You were way off you rhythm on this. Even at you, didn't, all. you didn't squeeze. You were kissing my fingers. Yeah. Like, okay, now we're going to go on. And now I'm going to look at you and I'm like, do you seem sleepy or grumpy and angry and agitated? Yeah. And that's it. And that's, and that, yeah. 
And that gets us to the fourth box. I feel, I, like the, I feel like the fourth box is going to be licking your finger and holding <laughs> it in the air to see which way the wind's blowing. It is. It is. And what gets me about this whole scale, we have so much room for improvement. But the first step to pass the first one is just altered level of, like, to you know, altered from baseline. Yeah. So, like, if I'm pretending to be normal, which I feel like most people would do in that scenario, like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. I'd be like, I'm good. <laughs> Definitely not delirious over here, Doc. I mean, and they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm seeing elephants in the room yeah. and zebras, but no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not delirious, but my hallucinations <laughs> are. And the doctor's like, well, glad to hear it. Great. All good. Yeah. It basically seems like step one is, are you delirious? If they say no, <laughs> keep going. If they say yes, ask them, are you sure? If they say no, <laughs> then they're not delirious. If they say yes, then you ask them one more time and you say, Pinky swear you promise you're definitely delirious? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you make them sign a little piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, I am not delirious. Yeah. And then you get out the, the folded paper thing and you count, <laughs> save a heart, and the then they unfold teller. it. Yeah, the fortune teller. And then it says, you're it not says, delirious. Congratulations, and, you are not delirious. Or, or says, ask again. Shoot them up with haloperidol. <laughs> Give them an antipsychotic. They'll be yeah. fine. Whoa, you got the daily double. You get two doses of haloperidol. <laughs> All right, so what's our final one? Okay, so the final Limbo box. Limbo contest. This is my favorite one. This is called disorganized thinking. All right, so you failed all the other boxes. Yeah. We're really questioning you at this point. And we get to disorganized thinking, which is a series of four questions. Oh, yeah. And the questions are the same as they were in 2001. The questions are... What did Britney Spears <laughs> and Justin Timberlake wear to the Grammys this year? Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> denim, denim, denim. Yeah. Um... Okay, question number one. Yeah. Will a stone float on water? Ooh, that's a, it's like a koan. I like that. Yeah. Question number two. Are there fish in the sea? Question number three. Does one pound weigh more than two? And question number four. Can you use a hammer to pound a nail? All right, let's go through the top and I'll answer them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are we still assessing you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, or, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. I would have passed the last one because I'm definitely chill and not agitated. But yeah. I'll yeah. pretend that I'm more agitated. You could be like a negative 0. 0.5, like yeah. just relaxed. We could talk about how much I did not like the third Matrix movie. I'll get really <laughs> agitated. <laughs> then you'll but, be a plus one. And then I'll be a plus like and then three. We'll keep but going. We'll, we'll just skip that and pretend we okay. did. Okay. Uh, so, will a stone float on water? I know the answer is no, but I also feel like, I don't know, like 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 pumice on like a really salty lake, maybe. Oh, I like that answer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I feel okay. like there's situations where a stone probably does. Yeah. And there's probably like alternate realities where it does. I don't know. Ooh, also, if you're skipping a stone, does that <gasps> yes. count as floating? Or like is the moment mm. when the, the stone is in contact with the water, does that count as floating? I'm going to need this nurse to define floating. Yeah. Like that's step one. <laughs> Um, question number two, are there fish in the sea? Which sea? Great question. Yeah. Do you think follow-up questions automatically make you delirious? <laughs> Do you think if you ask a follow-up question to the disorganized thinking list of questions that you're automatically delirious? I'm not delirious. This whole system's delirious. <laughs> you just throw a chair. Um, question number three, does one pound weigh more than two? Yes. yes. What? Wait, one pound of what versus two pounds of what? 
Good question. Because like a pound of bricks definitely weighs... Two pounds of feathers weighs less than one pound of bricks. <laughs> I'm going to need to know the items in each of these pounds. And are we talking about, maybe we're talking about pounds like currency. I don't know. Do they Ooh, weigh the same? and where are the pounds being weighed? Yeah. In what if, atmosphere? Because like, uh, yeah. These are good questions. Although I think actually, it, it, the, it, no, that, that's incorrect. Like uh, a pound on Earth <laughs> and a pound on Mars, it would be different quantities of things, but the weight would be the same. Oh, I'm bad at space. I know. <laughs> Thank God it's so far away. I know. Ugh. Um, can you use a hammer to pound a nail? I would say define pound. Like what is that what are you asking here? Yeah. Can you use a hammer to nail a nail? If I if I say yes and I pass that question, does the doctor go, nailed it and give me a high five? <laughs> Because yes. that should be the default response. Yes. I think everyone should be using the same joke from 2001 to like yeah. congratulate people on narrowly escaping a delirium diagnosis. Yeah, you were almost delirious, but you nailed it. That's so. When you 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 told me about these questions uh, the other day, which has got me so excited about chatting more about this, I thought this were, was the start. I thought it's like we think this person might be delirious. Let's start with these questions. It seems really wacky to me that it starts with like eyeball measurement of like is the person delirious and then you go through these other things and then you ask these questions and if someone mumbles the right answer to all of these questions you're like never mind not delirious after all yeah. yeah and that's what's so weird that it starts off with such a broad question which you could easily pass like yeah. are they at baseline well most of the time you have patients in the ICU who you don't really have a baseline for, right? Like maybe they were on the floor and they were normal and then they got intubated and brought into the ICU and I come in to assess them for delirium. Yeah. Are they a baseline? Yes, question mark. I don't know. They're sedated. Like when I get tired or hungover, I get grumpier and more <laughs> sedated. And my fiance gets like more hyper and energized. So if we go out partying on a Saturday night and then like Sunday, I'm like struggling to make it to brunch. <laughs> she's like doing cartwheels and befriending like fire hydrants. So, you know. It seems like such a weird, arbitrary measure to try and define this. Yeah, what is your baseline what and is what baseline? is abnormal for you? Because maybe that's your maybe yeah. that's your baseline. I maybe don't know. you're just going out to brunch and you're just a little <laughs> Maybe you're just a little hungover that day and you happen to end up in the ICU and we're like, ooh, hard hard yes, that's delirious. So we've been using this since two thousand one. But then what happened in, you said something happened in 2018, right? We got So in 2018, we got this huge, new, beautiful, revamped guideline update. And it, it, it was, its purpose was to kind of augment this, uh, this guideline release we got in 2013. Um, and it had a panel of people. It was really beautiful because it was this huge panel of people. And they actually How had- How many delirious people were on the panel? Well, it's funny. They actually had- I want to say four ICU survivors on the panel. Oh, good. So the okay. people were allowed to sit and say like, nah, that's not what I wanted. Like, I know you think that's right. Maybe science says that's right, but that's not cool. I was asking a flippant jerk question and I really like that answer. <laughs> that's great. I'm glad to hear. It, it is. So the, the panel that was comprised in 2018, you know, we're getting better at how we do guidelines and involving survivors in um, critical care situations to yeah. say like, hey, you know, the guideline says we should draw your blood every six hours. And then the person says, yeah, that's fine. But that made me 
kind of crazy. Like, oh, yeah. that made me angry. So I've been in medical research studies where I was like a healthy volunteer guinea pig. And I've been in some where you had to have a crazy amount of blood draws and they're waking you up in the middle of the night and they're going around and they're doing everybody else's. So you don't only just get woken up for yours, but like they flip the lights on because they're going to go down the rows. Yeah. And that shit will fuck with you. Yeah, yeah. I totally. And to have that plus like a girder sticking through my stomach or something like. Yeah. No, holy thank smokes. you. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the ICU survivors was a really good addition. I, I mean, when I say I'm in love with these guidelines, I have yeah. like a freakish relationship with yeah. these guidelines. They are gorgeous to me. I think they ask really good questions. and um, Better questions than is one pound having two pounds? <laughs> yeah, more in-depth questions than can you pound a nail with a hammer. But um, but no, they, they, they kind of sat down and, and the big advancement was advances in delirium so really making a delirium a part of the conversation and then adding the immobility and sleep factor to the end of it so that was huge in saying that you know what delirium closely related to sleep like if i don't get any sleep i'm gonna behave abnormally yeah. <laughs> like i'm not gonna be a baseline and so you have slower healing time you have you know uh, worsened outcomes because you're not sleeping. Yeah. So, um, so there've been a couple studies to see if maybe we sedate people overnight, like would that help, you know, would their sleep help and help prevent delirium? Um, and results have been wishy-washy and not awesome yet. But Because what I understand is that sedated sleep is not really the same as natural sleep. And, right. Yeah. Uh, I read a, a book about the science of sleep and he just repeated over and over. He's like, if you're having sleeping problems, taking sleeping pills all the time is not the answer. Like, yeah, it's you not, really got to figure this out. And it's not just uh, taking hella Ambien to try to knock yourself yeah. out and not feel anything. Yeah. They, there have been a couple of good, you know, nocturnal sleep studies and they've shown, eh, you know, yeah. We should, add, we should add dream. That like, can be the next one. It can be sleep yes. and dream. Like what's your REM doing? What's everything. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the fact that it's becoming a lot more of like a holistic approach that we're saying like, okay, it used to be a triangle of pain, agitation, sedation, delirium. And now it's like a, it's like a new shape. We're like adding yeah. two new things onto it. And we're saying, you know, if any one of these is, is. And what about immobility? Immobility relates to like post-surgery, post-ICU, like getting people up and out has way better outcomes. So if somebody is on the ventilator or they're, you know, if they're intubated or sedated or anything, or maybe they've had a severe surgery, we need to get them up and moving and in physical therapy. And we see way better outcomes, particularly in uh, people of advanced age. Like they do, if you get them moving, they're going to do so much better. So, Yeah. I had knee surgery in 2008, and I, I hated my knee surgeon so much. I, like, looked him up years later because I needed to get, like, medical files from him, and I found his Yelp page, and he had, like, the worst Yelp reviews. And I was like, oh, I wasn't <laughs> crazy. Like, this guy's a huge fucking dick. Um, but I, like, had knee surgery, and then they discharged me with, like, a photocopied thing about, like, exercises to do. And I'm like, I can't bend my leg like I can't do I, I any, more than that I can't do any of these exercises and I was yeah. on crutches for so long and I finally went and saw a different doctor and he's like oh they should have put you on a machine after you got done that would have been like bending and moving your leg for like 24 hours like it would have just been like this like automatic leg moving machine I want to that, use that for my bicycle crunches yeah then I don't have to do any effort exactly. I want one of those <laughs> yeah and I was like oh so it's like yeah then you went like your problem now is all scar tissue like they fixed the thing but they made it so much worse 
course by like not helping you heal correctly. Yeah. And so, yeah, get people up and going. That's a good idea. Yeah. Moving is a big thing. You know, they even um, in the guidelines, they even recommended people who are um, intubated get moving. Yeah. Um, so if you if you have a machine that's breathing for you, you can still get on exercise that your arms and legs in bed and like yeah. sit up at the bedside. Those like grip strength do, little things. Yeah. Yeah. Those ducky stress balls. Little whatever ducky stress you need. balls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of get yourself moving has has way better outcomes. So um but yeah the 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 I don't know, the idea of moving it just makes sense. A lot of this just makes sense, but I don't think we had clear guidelines in the beginning. Now to get on my pointy wizard cap for a moment <laughs> We started in 1995, and it's like, mm, that person's delirious, shoot him up. And that was the strategy. Have we recognized, is there any advantage to delirium? Is there anything that, like, your body is in that state for a reason and, like, we can work with it? Mm, that's a fun question, and I don't have a good answer for it, yeah. and I kind of like that. So the, the guidelines left a lot of room, and they very sp specifically state, like, we don't really know what's going on. Like yeah. we need, we need to know why we're getting delirious, how we're getting delirious, what's actually happening in delirium. Do we need it? Do we want it? Is it bad? Is it good? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, you know, we did show that higher rates of delirium, um, have poor outcomes, but is that a causation or a correlation? Right. So are people getting more delirious because they're sicker? If that makes sense, mm -hmm. or is the delirium causing them to get sicker? We just don't know. Or well, I wonder if it's like fever. You know, like obviously, like if you have a crazy high fever for a really long time, that's like not great for you. But the fever is also a response that your body's triggering because it's like trying to burn some shit off and yeah, and heal it, kill some bacteria and yeah. stuff. It's on so purpose. You should only be a little delirious, but not like. But maybe not all the not way. Not like slam dunk. Space Jam delirious. They did show that people, um, studies have shown that people who have hypoactive delirium have way better outcomes than hyperactive. So if you're like totally out there and yelling and screaming, uh, not as great as if you're that weird, quietly confused. Kind of muttering, you know, <laughs> kind of things that don't make sense. Yeah. So I think that th it's, it's really neat because there's so much room for information and so much room for improvement like somebody has got to come up with a better way to diagnose delirium and eventually we've got to figure out what causes delirium instead of just leaving it as a catch-all to say yeah. like oh we've given you medicine or you've been in the icu for too long or you're old and that's why you have it is so delirium versus dementia and then we're going to talk about our spell is are are is delirium a symptom of dementia is dementia different because it's more permanent and delirium is something that can kind of just be a passing phase it's a good question i think in the icu we kind of point both fingers depending on yeah. which one is better for uh, for our treatment plan mm -hmm. than the other so sometimes we'll say like oh this person is you know 70 it's probably dementia yeah. maybe a little delirium but since it's in the dementia category i'm going to give them the medicine for dementia and since we don't really have treatment for delirium yeah. i'm not going to call it delirium um, but, you know, de dementia is more of a slow onset and it's something that, you know, doesn't really go away. And delirium is a very rapid onset, transient, reversible. It has a clear start and a clear stop yeah. in true delirium. Because I'm thinking about when my mom was dying of cancer, she had a stroke and then started having like rapid cognitive decline after that. And I was back home and I was able to watch her go from like kind of normal 
not normal confusion, but like slightly confused to like more and more confused day by day. Mm -hmm. So that's like more of a dementia because it's it's got one destination and it's not necessarily rebounding. Yeah. But then there's a lot of questions of like, could one be, you know, uh, exacerbated by the other yeah. like kidney injury right if you get one kidney injury you're more likely to have worse kidney injury down the line like chronic oh, right, kidney right. injury so you could have a kidney injury when you're 20 and that's fine and dandy and it resolves but you might be more likely to have a chronic disease a as history you get of older. delirium could mm -hmm. then make you more at risk for i'm curious i mean i don't have anything right. to back that up but i think there are a lot of questions where people say i'm curious if you know x y and z yeah. delirium has so many question marks that it makes it kind of a fun thing to explore and how we treat it how we diagnose it how we look at it how we evaluate it is it good is it bad is and if it... i was going to like represent delirium in a comic strip i would also use just a bunch of question marks I would, just <laughs> yeah. like, I would just put so many question marks around that little stick figure and you'd be like that guy's delirious yeah that guy's that should confused. be on the thing like go into the room how many question marks are floating <laughs> over the patient's bed yeah. Count them. If there's more than five, they're delirious. Definitely Anything delirious. under five, it's okay. I feel like that should be a box five. We should add on to the cam ICU. Ooh, I like yeah. that. The wizard. Just keep going. Yeah. Like if you the really whiz failed, ICU scale. Yeah. <laughs> if you failed all four boxes, you now unlock a super secret box. Yeah. Box five. Ooh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so this is going to be a weird one, but what should our spell be? How can our listeners at mm. home, aside from just checking if they're loved ones are delirious <laughs> constantly um what do we think we can do like i don't know we could you could ponder the uh four unusual questions in some way you could oh i like w let's go back to the thing and maybe we can use that thing as like a like you can induce a little delirium a little like playful delirium so not serious don't you know send yourself into a bad thing but so you can start with your baseline. So you do a baseline check and see, Yes. am I slightly out of sorts? Am how, I, how am I not myself? I like that phrase. Am I slightly out of sorts? Am I slightly out of sorts? So you do your baseline check to see if you're slightly out of sorts. Mm -hmm. And then what's our next one? You spell a word incorrectly. Okay. So um, maybe you... Hmm. Can you squeeze your own hand? I'm a slave to a heartache attack, and it has, like, 27 A's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And At so, that point, you just hog the person administering yeah, your test. You yeah. just, yeah. So okay. we'll, we'll do that, and you're trying to squeeze on as many A's as you can. And okay. I think that's, like, a game for two players. Yeah. This is, this to, is a two-person spell. This is a two-person spell to, to mutually you, induce delirium. You evaluate Ooh. each other. Ooh, I like this idea a lot. Yeah. Where it's like it's like it's like a game, you know, you could do it with a friend, you could do it with couples, but we're gonna agree to we're gonna safely mutually induce delirium for a little bit. I love it. And we're gonna check in with each other okay. and we're gonna both ask each other how are we slightly out of sorts and we're gonna get a little bit further afield. Mm. Then we'll hold hands and we'll spell <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> I'm a slave to heartache attack. Attack with 50 million A's. With so many A's. So we're, we're squeezing hands. Yeah. And then what's the next one? Um, then altered level of consciousness. So, so then we should get a little bit agitated or get a little bit sedated. sedated. So either chill the fuck out or amp it up a little bit. S do some jumping jacks. Yeah. 
explain why you think that QAnon is real. Yeah. Like, just, you know, get yourself a little frothy. <laughs> yeah. And then ask these... And then disorganized thinking. How do you do disorganized thinking? I think you find your own answers to these questions. So let these be not questions that you're trying to answer with a yes or a no, but these are like Zen koans. This is the sound of one hand clapping that you're going to use to cross that bridge into the... It's like in Looney Tunes. I think, what is it? Where do they... Uh, <laughs> it's like Porky Pig in the land of... He goes to this thing and there's like the Dodo is this character and it's this like crazy bizarro land kind of okay. thing. Maybe that's what it's called. And this is like our bridge to that. So you're going to meditate on these questions and if you do it right, you get to have 15 minutes of recess in delirium and then you'll come back to normal. Yeah. And then come back to baseline. Reset yeah. Bye. Yeah, what's our I don't know. how do we return to baseline? How do you return to baseline? You watch Space Jam. <laughs> you look at Britney Spears and Denim. Um, I don't know. Uh maybe by reorienting your senses, like glasses and and mm. hearing aids and I don't know, maybe being aware of your surroundings. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You take a little vacay in, in delirium land yeah. and then you'll go through each of your senses. That's what we do, we do when you come back from hypnosis is it'll be like you become aware of this, the, the sofa against your body, the sounds of the room, the air against your skin. So you can go check those and you like can that. come all the way back. And we're just going to be delirium explorers. Everyone be safe. Everyone be careful. Don't induce delirium when you might already be delirious, but, you know, yeah. be safe, It's a explore, safe delirium journey. I like it. Beautiful. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. For more of Catherine's work, get yourself checked into the adult or neonatal intensive care units at Norton Women and Children's Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. And for more of the delirium and delight-inducing magic of this podcast as a ritual, visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where a symbolic sacrifice of as little as $4.20 will make you a full participant in our ritual, helping us collectively navigate the troubled waters of today as we set our sails for a slightly better tomorrow. So until next time, I'm your wizard, Devin Person, reminding you that fish hook telephones are always just two grasps away from your next clandestine tango. Ah, uh-huh.